It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. It's Live in the Bream with host of Fox News at Night, Shannon Bream. Right, this week on Live in the Bream, I'm so excited to have this conversation. This brand new book, I think, is something we probably all, especially people of faith, people within the church, and people who are politically active or motivated, I think this is important chat to have. That we're going to have with Andy Stanley, his author, uh, pastor of Atlanta-based North Point Ministries. You may be familiar with them, uh, the satellite of churches that they have, primarily in the Atlanta area, but way beyond that as well. He's got a brand new book, Not In It To Win It, Why Choosing Sides Sidelines the Church. Andy, welcome to Live in the Bream. Thanks, Shannon. Thanks for the opportunity. So right away, this title caught me, and that's what you want to do with a book. Um, but the content yep. behind this, tell me what was on your heart or what motivated you to sit down and have this conversation on paper? <laughs> well, last spring, spring of 2021, coming out of you know COVID again, uh, lots of cultural challenges, uh, uh, you know, just this horrendous election cycle we came through. I say horrendous in, t- in terms of it just being so tumultuous. And this is just personal, okay? I was so disappointed and frustrated with, and honestly, kind of embarrassed by the response to all of that by some really high-profile pastors, church leaders, bloggers, podcasters. I just felt like, what in the world are they doing? And I just felt like they forgot. And again, this sounds judgmental, but you know, we talk about that. I just felt like they forgot what it means to be Christian. Mm-hmm. So I just started writing some things. This was not in my publishing queue. <laughs> and I just kept going and going and going. And I called the publisher and said, I just, you know, this is, the, you know, a lot of this is, uh, you know, kind of my opinion, but I've been doing this a long time. I came through the eighties with the moral majority mm-hmm. stuff. And I just have seen what happens in the church when this kind of, uh, this tone and posture takes hold. So I was, you know, I, I just felt like I needed to say something in this cultural moment. And uh, so I wrote a little book and it's not in it to win it. Well, and you and I probably had similar backgrounds in that, as you mentioned, the moral majority. And I remember, um, you know, the call to church is like, you need to get involved in these things. Um, These are, there are big moral issues out there and we need to not be silent. We need to get out and vote and get involved. And I think most pastors I've, I've, you know, been a part of the congregation have been very careful not to endorse candidates. Um, There's a lot of conversation about that, but they will speak on political issues and they Mm -hmm. will talk about that in the sense that, um, we have to win here. We have to um, get to the ballot box. Um, but you right. say, you know, that's not the overarching <clears throat> mission of what Christ gave us to do or what the church gave us to do um, yep. as his body. And that, you know, if you're if you're trying to win fights, political fights and conversations with people, are you really winning them to Christ? <laughs> yeah. And the thing is, and, and you've made a really important distinction, as you always do. There's a difference between speaking to specific issues that intersect with our faith as opposed to signing on to a political candidate or a political party as a church. So churches or pastors specifically who politicize their churches by basically going all in. And I, I, you know, I've always been a Republican. I lean right politically. I'm super conservative in my values and everything else. But to sign on to a political party or a candidate within the context of a church and to use the platform of the church as a pastor to do that, I feel is completely inappropriate. So issues that intersect with our faith, yes, as long as we're careful to remember. And again, this is, you know, I don't, this isn't just a pet peeve. The Apostle Paul addresses this. Whenever a pastor or church seems to expect the broad culture 
to ascribe to or embrace a Christian value, that's ridiculous. I mean, there are multiple worldviews, multiple faith systems. So to chastise culture or a group of people because they don't live out Christian values when they've never claimed to embrace Christian values to begin with is ridiculous. So the moment of, you know, a pastor gets up and takes the role of the prophet to chastise and judge America, I'm like, wait a minute, who, who, are, who are you talking to? You know, we're, we are to police insiders, the Apostle Paul said. We have no right to judge outsiders. So I feel like in the midst of all the political chaos and, and the appropriate emotion around some of these issues, right? I mean, it's not that any of us are neutral or should be disengaged politically. I tell our congregations all the time, heck, not only should you be politically engaged, you should vote every time you have an opportunity to. You should run for office, get involved. So this isn't, you know, withdraw and hunker down. This is be appropriately involved and specifically, as I talk about in the book, to take on the tone and the posture of our Savior who modeled this for us so well. And again, we're talking to Andy Stanley. His brand new book is not in it to win it. Why choosing sides sidelines the church. Okay. So what do you say to those folks who are like, listen, the church has been one of the biggest forces in the last couple of decades in moving on issues. Um, you know, there's a big pro-life movement and contingent within most evangelical churches. And they will say, we have to get involved in this if we truly believe this is a moral evil, yeah. um, whether it's the Catholic Church or, or any other denomination that feels like or religion that feels like um, this is a moral wrong. They feel like you should mobilize within the church and you should use um, those uh, memberships and those calls to action to get people involved in something. If you truly think it rises to the level of something you can't accept or doesn't it, it doesn't you know, it's, it can't be congruent with your faith. What do you say to those yeah. folks? Well, I say absolutely, but the the approach and to just you know kind of jump to the extremes we hear all the time, it just bothers me. And again, this is just me, but I, I think again, you follow Jesus through the Gospels, you follow the Apostle Paul from Greece to Jerusalem to Rome, you pick up on this. The whole idea that in being, let's just pick the example you've chosen because it's so current, to be pro-life, but to feel like that empowers me to demonize every Democrat, to demonize every single person on the other side of this issue is ridiculous. I mean, we can be pro-life and we can be pro-people and pro-people who don't see the world the same way we do. And then as on this specific issue, as a pastor, my intersection with this particular issue is very different than I, I feel sometimes coming from the far right, because these are actual families and mm-hmm. women and girls and parents who have extraordinarily difficult decisions to make. And as cut and dry as it is for people who, for those of us who believe that you know life begins with conception or soon thereafter, Again, it, it, it's not just a category. As you know, Shannon, these are real-life people mm-hmm. with who don't share, in many cases, our worldview. So to impose our worldview as convicted as we are and as sure as we are, um, again, follow Jesus through the Gospels. You just don't find the demonization and the criticism of people who don't hold to the same worldview or the same application of or the same approach to specific cultural issues. So there's a way to be forthright, and there's a way to be you know, to hold our convictions, but to feel like I have to make an enemy of everyone on the other side, demonize and criticize everyone on the other side is foolish. It is certainly unchristian, and it's just not accurate. And I don't think that regardless of which side you are on with some of these really difficult issues, screaming and berating, or as you said, viewing someone as the enemy, I don't think ever changes hearts or minds. I think that 
Um, People respond to respect. And I think you and I share this value that we're all created in God's image. We are precious. He knows each of our lives. He has a plan for each of us. We are all of equal value in his uh, sight, which is priceless. I mean, what he has sacrificed for us and calling to us. Um, And if we look across the table or across the aisle or wherever to somebody else to know that um, you couldn't possibly ever know how much God loves them or try to understand right. that. And um, they're they're not an enemy. You may have differences no. of you said, as you said, of opinions. And I know there's some places that folks say you got to draw a line. Um, but I think in general, having conversations with people as Christ did when he went to Zacchaeus, I think that's such a good example, which this is yeah, the most hated yeah. man in town, you know, the right. tax collector. Invited himself home with him. Right. Yeah. And he said, let's have dinner, which was revolutionary yeah. and crazy to people who would say Zacchaeus is horrible. He's, you know, the right. chief among sinners and oppressors. Like, how could you possibly associate with him or the and woman at the, at the well? That, well, at the end so of the story of Zacchaeus, well, at the end of the story of Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus is a changed man, right. but not because Jesus stood on the road and sc- screamed, screamed at, at him. him. <laughs> and this and this brings up a really important point, Shannon. And we, every person listening, has had this experience. We've all had the experience of having an opinion about a person, getting to know that person, and going, "Oh, oh," because a shared experience or delving into someone's story and experience, you always come away going, oh, I thought, oh, I assumed, oh, I always thought people like you or who grew, I, we're, we always learn something. And it's in those shared experiences and leaning in relationally to people that you don't, you don't necessarily change your view or, or diminish your conviction, but you come away going, oh, wow, there's way more to that mm-hmm. than I thought. And again, having walked with so many families, young ladies, college-age girls, distressed parents, through the issue of a surprise unwanted pregnancy, these are real people with real stories, with legitimate angst around, oh no, what do I do? And until a person is, has or is willing to dip into those stories, um, you're, just, you're just not going to approach any issue, but especially mm-hmm. perhaps this one with the appropriate sense of compassion. And to your point, you made a point. If we really want to see change, the way to bring about change is shared experience, leaning in, listening. Uh, As I say, be a student first and a critic second. Be a student first Mm. and a critic second. You start, you know, you you wait in as a critic, you're not going to learn anything. Nothing's going to change. So, uh, yeah, and, uh, you know, I've been pro-life since the, 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 you know, since I was in college. I mean, when the, the first pro-life march in Atlanta, but again, as a pastor, the, you know, if I'm to love people the way that Christ loved me, that impacts my tone and my posture and my approach. And that should be the case with everything. And seeing, unfortunately, going back to the Not In It To Win It book, seeing Christians abandon, not convictions or theology, but abandon the tone and approach and the posture of Jesus um, there's we we lose we immediately lose even though you know perhaps we're right in terms of how we see the world and the changes that we think need to happen so we'll have more live in the bream in a moment jason in the house the jason chaffetz podcast dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as i take on american life politics and entertainment subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts Yeah, and it's on us to find that balance. Um, And again, when you have these conversations, you know there will be those who say, well, we can't give an inch. We can't, you know, sacrifice on anything. And it's us against the world. And I get that. Um, But as you said, there are people behind all of these issues. 
And we have to take stock of that and look to Christ's example. We're not supposed to model anybody or any political leader, any religious leader, nobody but Jesus. If we call ourselves Christians, that's the example we're supposed to look to. And he leaves us a lot of clues as to, you know, how to navigate this. I think about um, something a marriage counselor once told us. And yes, I think if you're married for five minutes, you probably need a marriage counselor. (laughs) So we've been married 26 years and it's been very helpful at times. And I think one of the greatest things I got from a counselor years ago was like, you don't have to agree with the other person. But what you do need to do is say, I hear you and try to understand where they're coming from. I'm not going to agree with you on everything, but I acknowledge that your opinion, your viewpoint on this is a legitimate one. It doesn't have to be mine. We don't have to have the same one. But instead of seeing you as the enemy and whatever you think is crazy and wrong and ridiculous, at least acknowledge that person's feelings. And like you said, when you can sit down and have a conversation with someone, you may understand why they are coming at such a passionate point on whatever the issue is. And that gives them a chance to to know what you said and what you think yeah. as well. I, I think you need to student first, critic second. Needs to be t-shirts, yeah. mugs, um, bumper stickers. <laughs> Go like, ahead, you can take credit. Yeah. Well, listen, well, it's all you. But uh, but there's room in there to hold to your convictions, to not sacrifice on the things that we are called to stick to, but to yeah. also have compassion and open mind and conversation and respect for each other. Right. And. Um, yeah, I mean, there, there's so many things we could say on that, but I, you know, whenever I hear, and again, this is something I talk about with our church all the time. I say, when you hear yourself saying, or you catch yourself thinking, how could anyone do that? How could anyone say that? How could anyone believe that? Just pause and remember, there's something you don't know. If I don't understand how in the world a person could vote that way, believe that way, talk that way, then there's something I don't know. So again, that's the cue that before I open my mouth and express my opinion or judge a person, I need to say, wait a minute, if, if that doesn't make any sense to me, clearly it makes sense to them. They, they, they see the world in a way I don't see it. It is up to me specifically as a Christian to understand the way they see the world, which 100% of the time has been shaped by the way they have experienced Mm -hmm. the world. And that's why people's stories and entering into their spirit experience and shared experience, always, we always walk away with more compassion, more consideration, more patience, more kindness, not that it changes our views, but it changes our perspective, Mm -hmm. which changes our approach. And as Christians, that's how we're supposed to lead. Unfortunately, we've picked up on the habit and we've all inherited this. And this is such a shame. We somehow as Christians have, have come to believe that we're supposed to lead with our beliefs, but that's not true. We should lead with our values because values is where our circle intersects with other people. And if you follow Jesus through the gospels with that paradigm in mind, that's what you discover. He would lead with his values. That's why he said to Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, I would like to go to your home for lunch. He didn't start with, let me tell you what I believe, and let me tell you where you're wrong. (laughs) Same with Matthew, same with the woman at the well, um, same with the woman caught in adultery, same with the group of people that were condemning the woman caught in adultery. Jesus led with the common ground of human experience. And if we would just recapture that tone, again, it's not a matter of abandoning our convictions at all. It's a matter of, again, those circles that overlap around shared values and the people, again, back to this most contentious issue, the people on both sides, the pro-choice, pro-life movement, they actually have a long list of shared they do. values. They do. Absolutely. We, in fact, again, most of our lives are the same. We get up, we get dressed, we go to work, we want to raise our families, we want to pay our bills. So 
again, the the demonization of entire of an entire party or a group of people is not only is it not helpful, it is unchristlike. So that's that's uh, you know that's what that's caused what me to, sit down to write a book. <laughs> yeah, and to say, hey, look, let's 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 be Christian. I mean, if we really care about our country, I mean, I feel like the church should be the conscience of the nation. And where the church is the conscience of the nation, the nation becomes a better, safer place for everybody. And because we're so divided, we have lost that opportunity. And uh, that that breaks my heart. Yeah, mine too. And I think that, and, and you emphasize this in the new book, Not In It to Win It, Why Choosing Sides Sidelines the Church by Andy Stanley, who we're having a conversation with. You talk about the posture of humility. Because, listen, I am a sinner saved by grace. Do I have things in my life I wish I could erase and mistakes and things that I've done and said or laughed at? Yes. And I think staying in that place like, gosh, I'm a flawed, fallible human being who needs God's forgiveness. And thank God he is so merciful and gives it to us. Um, Mm -hmm. I I think that that keeps us in the right place to go and have a conversation with someone else or to try to figure out what motivates them or drives them. I'm no better or no worse. You know, we are human beings created in God's image, um, all flawed in yep. need of his saving grace. And I think if we can start there, it's a good place that, that as you you call it, the posture of humility. Yeah. Humility is the most powerful human dynamic that, and it feeds into the idea of mutual submission that I am to submit to the people around me and put them first as an expression of humility, which again, you've said it so well. I mean, Jesus said it this way. He said, for even the son of man, talking about himself, for even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve right. and to give his life a ransom for many. Then he says, now follow me. So, you know, then he washes his disciples feet. Then he puts on a demonstration of humility and love that takes his breath away and takes our sins away, you know, when he's crucified. So we've lost all excuse for arrogance and all excuse for me first at the foot of the cross. And so when we allow that to permeate our tone and our posture, it's again, it's not a matter of compromising convictions. It's a matter of influencing people from that perspective. And that's really the only thing that changes hearts and minds. So how do we, uh, people of faith out there, whatever their faith tradition is or background or denomination, how do we walk through life, political issues, political campaigns, candidates, in light of our faith? What's the proper perspective? Well, I think Jesus made this so simple and so clear. At the at the his last communion or his last uh, Passover meal with his disciples, he said, "I want to give you a new command." They didn't need any new commands. They had about six hundred and thirteen. <laughs> he said, "I'm going to give you a new command," and this was these are the new covenant marching orders. He made it so clear. He said, "This is my new command that you love one another." To which they thought, "Well, that's not new." To which he would have said, "Well, I'm not through. You were <laughs> to love one another the way I have loved." you. And he could have gone around the room and said, Matthew, do you remember when we met? Do you remember what you were doing? I invited you to follow me. Nathaniel, do you remember when we met? You know, you dissed my family with the city I was from. I invited you to follow me. Peter, he could have gone all the way around the room because all of them experienced his unusual brand of love. So at the end of the day, this is how I teach it. I say, look, when you're not sure what to say or do, you ask, what does love require of you? When you're not sure what to say or do, you begin with what does love require of you, but not just any kind of love, the love that was demonstrated and illustrated through the life of Jesus. And then he said this, you, you, you and I memorized this as kids. He said, by this, all people are going to know that you're my follower. 
if you not have the right political views, not have the right <laughs> theology, by this all men will know that you're my disciple if you love one another the way I have loved you. So the new covenant marching orders, that if you forget everything else, remember this line is we are to love as he loved us. And when we approach any issue or any group of people or any person from that perspective, then we're following Jesus into that relationship and into those, you know, contentious and difficult waters oftentimes in terms of political and cultural issues, but there's a way to do that. And, you know, it's what does love require of me? That's, it all begins and ends right there. And as, when I remember that, when we remember that, we can make progress and we can influence people and we can find common ground. But the moment I feel like I have to lead with my beliefs rather than the love of Christ or my values, then I'm just building walls. I'm not really building a bridge. Yeah. He, he calls us to love our neighbors as ourselves, And if most folks out there are like me, born selfish and always thinking about myself. Think about what that calls us to do to translate that care, yeah. the very best that we would want in protecting and serving ourselves to do that for other people. Um, it is what we're called yep. to. The book is not in it to win it. Why Choosing Sides Sidelines the Church by Andy Stanley. It's uh, It was out May 10th. It is out there. You can find it wherever you want to get your books. Andy, thank you for joining us on Live in the Brain. Absolutely. Thank you, Shannon. I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in freefall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.